Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Whether you're trying to build a business or build a better career for yourself, you're going to want to listen to our next guest, Rochelle Shaw. She has successfully built three multi-million dollar businesses and is the author of the book, Build a Million Dollar Business in Las Vegas Without the Casinos and the Million Dollar Equation. She also coaches entrepreneurs on how to have a more successful business. Welcome, Rochelle. We're so glad to have you with us today. I heard you speak once before and I felt really compelled to have you as a guest. I think you've broken the mold of the stereotype with women in business because we don't hear a lot of successful women in business and you haven't just been successful in a business. You have successfully built several businesses in one of the areas of the country that I think is one of the most difficult areas to survive in and that's in Las Vegas. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in business. It's actually a very funny story. And here in Las Vegas, it is rather difficult. So my first book that I ever wrote is called How to Build a Million Dollar Business in Las Vegas Without the Casino because it was so difficult to sell to them. I used to own a telephone company. And I think in the introduction, you let everybody know that for many years, I was the only female African-American public utility owner in the nation. And so here I am, the only one. I've got this telephone company, and I would go to the casinos and ask them to sign up for my service. If you just gave me 1-800 number, it would really change my business, help us grow very quickly. And one of my friends who actually worked for one of the casinos said something very poignant to me that changed everything. And he said, you know, Rochelle, here's the deal. I don't get fired if I choose AT&T. But if I choose your company and something goes wrong, they'll say, what in the world? Why are you with this little tiny telephone company, even though at the time I was doing about $30 million? But as opposed to AT&T, I am this little guy around. He said, I can't choose you because it will affect my job. Wow, I never knew that all of these things would come into play when I wanted to go out and try to build my business and build it successfully. I thought that because I had the best price and the best offering and the best service that everybody would naturally flock to me. And I was shocked when it didn't happen. So in this thing, you know, I worked for the company for years before I bought it from my boss. I thought that I would always own a company, but I never knew what kind of company I would own. I just was always a leader and kind of a rebel. (laughs) So I kind of figured out that maybe I'm not such a good employee. When you gave your talk, and I've been reading your book, I can't remember if it's from the talk or from the book. It reminded me of a cartoon I saw where this guy has a desk, the phone system. Back then, there were fax machines and all this stuff, and the guy's got all his business equipment. He says, okay, I've got all my stuff for business. Now what? You started your business, and one of the things you talked about is a lot of people are so busy getting ready to start that they never start. Share with the listeners how you got started and how it's not important that you have all these frills. It's just important you get started. Yeah, it's so true. Part of my story, what I share in the book, is how 
I worked for the company for years. My boss got tired of paying me eventually. <laughs> he said, you know, I'm paying you an awful lot of money. And he wanted to go in a different direction. So I offered to buy the company from him. That was a whole different journey in that I applied to SBA. I thought I had the whole criteria. I was a woman. I had great credit. I had all of these wonderful things. And they said no. And I had to go about purchasing it in a totally different way that most people buy companies. But we worked on buying the assets. I had to do a sell back with the buyer. You had to carry some of the note. I mean, we had to be really creative for me buying it. But once I got it, I wasn't really paying a lot of attention to the business. And I happened to be in the entertainment capital of the world. And so I actually, right after 9-11, I lost it all. And everything went away. I was out of business within 90 days, even at $40 million. Talk about damaging and hurtful and, oh my goodness, what am I going to do tomorrow? But I looked at how in the world am I going to start another business? How about I just go find another job? And I read this article that said that for every $10,000 that you make, it takes a month to find an applicable job. And so at the time, I was making about 200000 I said, okay, so I need, wow, 20 months to find another job. Why don't I just see if I can sell this telephone service again? Talk about getting ready. I didn't have an office. I didn't have a carrier agreement, which is what you need to provide service to someone. I didn't have a billing system. I didn't have any employees. I didn't have anything. And I was in the bankruptcy attorney's office because that's where I filed bankruptcy. And I asked him, I said, hey, so what are you doing with all of your old clients that filed bankruptcy? He says, well, nothing. They can't file bankruptcy again for another seven years. So we just keep them because we're legally bound to keep all of their information. I said, well, what if I took those from you and sold them telephone service? Do you mind? He said, absolutely not. I just don't have them in a format that you can have. So you'd have to actually go through them and type them all up. So I spent an afternoon in his office and I got 3,000 potentials that were just like me. And so when I created how I was going to sell to them, I thought, you know, who am I and what appeals to me? And that is, how are you going to sell to credit challenge customers? What do they need? They've just filed bankruptcy. What's the best thing for them? So I developed a strategy. Now I had a bunch of people that were just like me, and I reached out to them. And very little money that I spent to see if they even wanted the phone service. And when they started to, I said, wow, that works. So now I needed an office for them to go to. So I said, who else has a target market that's credit challenged? And we have payday loan. The place was called Budget Loans, and they did loans based on hard money. I approached the owner and I said, hi, you know what? I have this telephone service and I would love to provide it to your customers because we target credit challenged people. I see that you've got some empty space in your office. Would you mind if I lease space from you? And lo and behold, he said yes. So now I had an office and a place for people to go to. I had to figure out how I was going to bill them. And a billing system for telecommunications cost about half a million dollars. I said, okay, I know I'll never get a half a million dollars. There's no way I can get a loan. So how about if instead of giving them all these things that make their bills fluctuate, I just give them the basic service and a flat rate. So I created flat rate billing before they even had it. So now in cell phones, it's just customary. But I just did it because it solved a problem that I had because I didn't know how to get all of the details of the bills done. But I knew that I could send them a statement every single month. So all of these things I did to get a customer to pay me instead of out there building this big, going into huge amount of debt, and it was because I wasn't able to. Trust me, if I was able to, I would have done it. But because I wasn't, I realize now, and that's what I teach everybody when I talk to them about building a business, whether it be a million-dollar business or not, is that it doesn't take money to do it.
It just takes some creativity and looking to solve whatever problem you have and then conveying that to your potential prospect. And that's beautiful. I mean, you just really can get so much from that. And I'm starting to wonder, with the book, again, being called The Million Dollar Equation, are you starting to give us some hints on what the secret equation is, or can you give us some more? Because I can't wait any longer. (laughs) Yeah, the first thing is that you've got to have a great solution. So it's really hard to build a million-dollar business without a substantial amount of capital if you're not solving somebody's problem. So what problem are you solving? Who out there needs your service or product? If you're selling candles, it's kind of hard to say, hey, buy my candle, because now you can compare it to somebody else. They go, well, I'll just go get it at Walmart where it's $2.99. Why would I ever buy a $20 candle? But if you are providing the mood and the aphrodisiac to a wonderful evening with your wife candle, now that's solving a huge problem. And it's worth the $20 because what's the benefit that they're going to get on the other side? So whether you are a chiropractor, a financial advisor, what problem are you solving for the customer? So yesterday I just had one of my members who is in a training that I'm doing, and so she sent me what her great solution was. And it was, I bridged the gap between consumers and the industry. I said, okay, that's not, who cares about that problem that you're solving? It's not sexy enough so that people say, yes, I can't wait to have you solve that problem. And you're not going to be able to create urgency. So the beginning of it is make sure that you solve a big problem. Second is you have to have a target market. You can't reach everybody. So even though 330,000 people get their phones disconnected each week, there's no way I could reach everybody. So I had to find a small target market that I can not only reach, but who had the ability to pay me money and who wanted to pay me money. So that's the second key of the formula. It's nine different steps, but it goes into really defining who you are what problem you're solving, and then making sure that you get most money from each customer that comes through. And so we show you how to do that in all of the steps in the retention strategy, the reactivation strategy, and then the referral strategy. So that when they came to my telephone company, I made the experience so amazing that they couldn't wait to tell their friends and family and brought them over. So before I knew it, I rebuilt back my million-dollar business in about five months. Well, you know, and that's a message for someone who's searching for a job. We have high unemployment right now. What is the solution the employer's looking for and focus on that? I always get a kick out of once in a while we're doing interviews for prospective employees, and one of the first questions they ask is, how much vacation time do I get? How many sick days are there? What benefits do you provide me? If you looked more and focused on the solution that the employer's looking for, maybe those other things would come. And I think you can apply those same principles as an employee as well. Is that right? Absolutely. I have a woman who is a senior vice president for a multi-billion dollar corporation who is one of my coaching clients. She's frustrated because her base salary is 230000 She got a bonus of $70,000 last year. She's unhappy. Okay. <laughs> I understand how that works. She really wants to be at the half a million dollar level. And so what I said to her is, here's the biggest challenge that you have, is that you are in a non-revenue position. And she said, what? I said, you know, you're in public affairs, which it's nice to be a senior vice president of public affairs. However, it doesn't generate any revenue for the corporation. So why am I going to pay you more money when you're not generating revenue for the court? It doesn't make sense. I can't explain that out to our investors. I can't explain it to the rest of the employees so that in order for you to get a raise, my recommendation is we need to either develop a new revenue stream for your department or you need to move out of that position. Over the last six months, we created a brand new position for her that we 
pitched to the chairman of the board who said, oh, this is fantastic, and we got her a $130,000 raise. But it was because we could show that she's going to generate revenue for the company, which made it make sense for the chairman to say, yes, I will give you more money. So that whether you're asking for a raise, looking for a new job, you have to be able to identify what is the problem of the person on the other side of the table. Solve it for them. Make it easy for them. The last thing that I want when I'm hiring an employee, one time I had 52 employees, is if the first thing you ask me is how much vacation time, then I know that you're not focused and serious about this job. Never going to hire you. I don't know how it happens so fast, but the mentality kind of in the country today is more about what can you do for me versus the old kind of philosophy of what can I do for you first. And that's why I think our business is successful because look at customer service today. That's just such an odd word even anymore. It's just amazing. And so what you're saying is just in one sense, with great respect for your accomplishments, so simple. (laughs) What's so funny about that, Tony, is that what you'll find is that even when I first started at the telephone company, I was promoted five times in four years. I'm like, how does this happen? And it was all because I was dedicated to the company. I came in early. I stayed late. I did my job. I learned very quickly. I learned the industry. I was the top salesperson from somebody who could never sell anything. I mean, I was like, this is the hardest thing ever, sales. And then I loved the telephone business because I never had to ask for a check. I just had to ask, would you like to switch your service? Once I figured out how to solve the problem of my customers, I took them from 300000 when I first started to four years later, we were doing $36 million, $3 million a month. I had three customers that I brought in myself that were doing over a million dollars a month. Okay, so how does this happen? And it does because I looked at how can I solve the problem from the very beginning. Everything that I do in my life is, okay, how can I solve the problem? I have fabulous relationships with my friends, with my family, because I'm a problem solver. So this key simple concept can work throughout your life, whether you have a job, whether you don't have a job, whether you're looking for it. When they come to, I used to have this assistant that I finally told her one day, here's the deal. Number one on your list is number 37 on mine. Okay? So I don't care what you are doing. It is never more important than what I have to do. So when you interrupt me from stopping what I have to do, it better doggone well be very important, number one. And number two, if you come to my office and you're not busy and I am, then you need to find something to do or else you won't have a job. And she looked at me so strange. Yeah. I said, well, why would I have you here? I think they forget that so quickly. It's kind of like you owed her something by giving her a job. And it's like, no, you're actually here to serve me. And if you help me be more successful, then I can help you. (laughs) Well, one year I actually printed out a picture of my new car that I wanted and that I hadn't invested in because I have this thing about buying new stuff. I just hate to do it because I know it depreciates. I know it. So I refuse to buy a new car. So one day she came in and I said, I just wanted you to see the new car I didn't buy because I paid you this year. And she goes, what? And she thought that was very mean. I said, it's it's not about being mean. I just want you to be very conscious of the fact that I am not doing something for me to make sure that I provide for you and your family. And every sale that I make helps support you and your family. So it's really important that you help support me 
so that I can make the next sale so that you and your family can have a wonderful summer vacation. Seems like a fair deal to me. Well, listen, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, let's build more on these core elements of why it's so difficult to become a successful business owner. So please stay tuned. If you want more information on this program from your real wealth professional, just click the more information button so they know to contact you. Welcome back as we continue our discussion today with Rochelle Shaw, speaker, author, entrepreneur of How to Build a Million Dollar Business in Las Vegas Without the Casinos. I love that. It's just fabulous. The Million Dollar Equation. And also, you've got a website, which is RochelleShaw.com. So you do provide coaching services, and I'm sure folks can access your book there and many other places. We were talking about just those key elements of what it takes to build a multi-million dollar business, and you had shared examples of how you had gotten there so many times. It's kind of sad that less than 3% of all women-owned business and 9% of all businesses reach the million-dollar level. Why is it difficult for business owners to build a million-dollar business? I think they get distracted. They're not following really what the plan is. And being able to, I would say, roll out with something that really works. As you test, and if you find that you found a really unique niche, which when I was rebuilding back my telephone company, I found something that just kind of happened upon me. I got a referral from a car dealership that was down the street. And they said, well, they sent this customer over because we were able to get his service on the quickest in the city. And I said, well, wow, I didn't know that. So I called the car dealership and I said, I just wanted to thank you for sending over the referral. And he said, well, I send people all the time. I said, you do? Well, can you tell me what I can do for you? And he said, well, we would love it if you would send some of your customers over to get cars. And I said, well, let me interview you really quick because I do target credit challenge customers and I don't want them to get ripped off at your dealership. So why don't you show me what you're doing? When he showed me his whole plan and how we were both fighting for the same effort, which is to get people out of debt, to help them financially, to make sure that their payments are something that they can afford and not just to keep overextending them. I said, you know what? Not only can I refer you, but I'll make it a point to refer you. At that point, he said, well, great. Well, I'd love to compensate you. Really? (laughs) So I found that even by sending over customers to him, that I made almost as much money as I made from the telephone business. I went, well, gee willikers. Well, here is a revenue stream that I would have never known about if I didn't pick up the phone, number one, to thank him for the referral, which is one of the keys to the million-dollar equation. But number two, leveraging this ability to generate revenue that didn't cost me anything. So I started to communicate with my customers more, as I talk about in the book, in my monthly newsletter, and I talk to them about how to find a car dealership that works for them, how to manage your credit, how to know when it's okay to buy a new car. And then I referred them over to my good friend at the dealership that in turn sent me over $500 every time I sent a person to him. So it's like, well, wow, who knew that this was an opportunity? But often entrepreneurs get so sidetracked in their day-to-day that they don't work on the business only in it, and they're not focused on really building it to a million-dollar business to begin with. How can I save $2 here? How can I not do it? I tell a story in the book of my very first company I ever worked for, and my boss refused to buy a copier, and he had a printer. So we did tax preparation, and we needed two copies, so we printed two instead of having a copy. Really? (laughs) Why wouldn't you just buy a copier? But he was so concerned with not spending any money that he was lacking some of the investments that we needed to build the company bigger and make sure that we could get to the million-dollar level. 
Well, I know you have tons of ideas in the book. Everybody should be looking at getting that book. But before we go how to get the book, one of the things that you've said is money makes people stupid. Can you elaborate a little bit on that one? I do say that. And then I go, oh, no, my face turns red because everybody's always shocked. But so often I'll listen to entrepreneurs who are startups who have blown through all of their reserves before they even have a customer. I say, you know, if you didn't have any money and if you didn't have credit cards, you would have gone out to get a customer first. And that's what you were worried about. You wouldn't be setting up this beautiful office with this mahogany desk that costs you $3,000 that nobody's ever going to see because you don't have a customer to see it. So I noticed that sometimes money makes your ideas skewed and makes you think that you need something like to start your business, you need a loan. Well, I didn't have a loan. I didn't have an opportunity to get a loan, so I could definitely start the business. I didn't have a 401k either that I could go and get. I didn't have a rich uncle. I didn't have any of that. I had to make sure that every day I went and got a new customer that could fund my business. And that's what needs to happen. Even if you're still working while you're trying to open your business, see that as a way to fund the business instead of, oh, this is so I can have great credit so I can go and get a loan. Because money can only buy you advertising or marketing strategies. It can't actually buy you a customer. So I'd much rather you spend your time developing your correct marketing message so that the customer is automatically attracted to you. So here's what happens when an entrepreneur gets to about $10,000 a month, $100,000 a year, is they go buy a new car. They say, because I did serve it. I really want to be flashy. And they get a lease, a Mercedes. The lease is $1,200. go, oh my goodness, do you realize how much that is of your monthly income that you are spending on a car that is depreciating that now you don't even buy because you leased it? This is an expense that, what if you spent that same $1,200 getting a new customer every time? You get sidetracked. That's why you can't get to the million-dollar level is because you spent money to people who don't care about you, who haven't even purchased anything from you. So that's why I think that often money makes people stupid and it makes them do silly things. Either sit down when they've been hustling for a long time to get a customer and now, whoo, I finally got to $100,000 level so I'm going to relax. Or they think that they have to go and get loans to really leverage the business appropriately. And I really do believe that you can easily grow to about a million dollars without any loans, without anything else. That's a fantastic point. You know, we uh, as financial advisors, of course, try and explain to our clients that sometimes our job is to take the emotion out of money. So when you say it kind of makes people stupid because they don't, you know, like you said, oh, well, I deserve it. So I'm going to go spend a thousand a month on a car. Well, if you sat down with your financial advisor, they'd probably present in a way that it's not probably the cost effective approach at this point. And again, our job is to kind of be that person to bounce ideas off of and provide them unemotional advice. So sometimes it's great, you know, to be successful, but sometimes it doesn't hurt to also surround yourself by guidance and counsel that can share with you tax perspectives and estate planning and investments and all those different things. So important. The funniest thing that I ever said in my life, the best joke I ever had. I met this kid who was balding a little bit, and he was driving a brand-new Cadillac. Payment was, you know, $500 a month, and he was about 22. And he said to me, hey, Michelle, what do you think about my car? I said, I think it's beautiful. But if you had that $500 a month and a <laughs> mutual fund that was growing for you in 20 years when you really have no hair because I could see your hair's already thinning, you're going to be far more attractive. He's like, what do you think the girls are going to think about my new car? And I go, oh, yeah, yeah, who cares? At 22, you're already cute. At 42, you might not be so cute. You'd like to have that money in the bank. 
And I watched them make mistake after mistake. After, I drive a 15-year-old car. And they said, are you kidding me? How can you drive that car? Because there's no emotion attached to the car that I drive. I already know that I'm fantastic. So I don't need you to tell me that. And I don't need to drive a cool car so that you think that I'm fantastic. I already know that I am. So I don't need those crutches in my life. I have systems in place in my business so that all the emotion is taken out of the, oh, should I spend an extra $200 to pay for a toner cartridge? Are you, are you serious? Yes, you can't have the printer printing things that are faded going out to a client. I'd be more concerned about that than the car that you drive. It really just has people caught up in what people think about them, and money is tied to it 90% of the time. That's really where your priorities, and you've got just such great confidence and balance in your life that you don't measure yourself by the material things. That's fantastic. Hey, you got to give our listeners, where do you get the book? Uh, the easiest place to get it is Amazon or Barnes & Noble. If you go online to either one of those sites and just search the Million Dollar Equation, it's there. Or you can search my name and you can find it there. Or you can come by my website, which is www.rochelle. It's spelled R-I-C-H, so like rich girl. I love that. Rich. What a great way to... Did your parents ever know this? <laughs> they blessed okay, so you. My father's name is Richard, and I was supposed to be a boy. Oh, okay. And back then, they didn't have really accurate sonograms, and that's telling how old I am. So that's how I got Rochelle, but it's easier just to explain it out that way. Shaw, S-H-A-W. Com. You can find anything you want. There's tons of video there. There's a lot of my other tips. I happen to be the financial advisor for our local Fox station here in Las Vegas. My favorite one is that kids over 12 don't need Christmas gifts, which mm. got a lot of feedback. But after losing it all twice, you never want to start over again. And I know that you guys give your clients that same advice. Yep. You never want to start over again. And at 29, losing it all, it's kind of all right because you think like you have the rest of your life at 40 Goes when fast. it's never fun. How do I tell my 65-year-old mother that, hey, Ma, guess what? You got to go back to work after right. I retired you and bought you a house. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> not fun, right? right. She yeah. gives you the look. So you never want to have to start over again. So when they look at all of the tips of the million-dollar equation, a lot of it has to do with the head stuff. It's getting your head right and wrapped around. You can build a very successful business or use these principles to get a great job and keep it so that you can invest for your future and really live the life that you want to live. And it just comes from doing the right thing, the right thing all the time. Being a successful entrepreneur is being an adult. Yep. Because when you've got 50000 a million dollars coming in a month, it's kind of hard to make decisions that, no, I can't go buy a $500 television yeah. for my three-year-old. Right. Right? It's like, well, no. You know, it doesn't make sense. My seven-year-old's never been to Disneyland. Not because I don't think it's a great place, but it just didn't make sense to me when she was three and four. Now we're going this summer when she can really experience Appreciate it. Appreciate it, yeah. Why spend the money when she doesn't get it? No doubt about it. That's awesome. Hey, listen, I wish we had another hour. I appreciate the time we've spent. Certainly our listeners have gotten value and definitely reach out for her book. And I got a feeling we're going to ask you to come back someday because as you continue to grow your successful financial future, we just want to know what the next great thing is you've created. So please join us again in the future. Uh, it'd be my pleasure. Thanks for joining us this week, and tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your real wealth advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes which you can click on to learn more. 
If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.